0: Mmm. where the big boys play welcome to 20 years of nitro worldwide edition it's our post nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was january 20th through january 26th 1997 i am your host tim Rut, and with me (laughs) as always it's my broadcast colleague dave amentorp how are you doing today dave
1: man it's crazy like once we get through this episode our next one's going to be sold out and this has felt like the quickest i mean it, it has to be one of the quickest like periods of time that we've had recording between pay-per-views <laughs> yeah because it does not feel like starcade was that long ago for us um but i'm I, like i i've mentioned ever since starcade that that like this this is going to be one of the very few pay-per-views I've never seen before in WSW, so I'm going to be really excited to see it and get like have like real legitimate like first impressions and and like and everything about it and just like there's such it's so weird there's like such an a feeling of like no one really knows what it's going to be like you get that you kind of get that attitude from like uh, from Clash of the Champions and Monday Nitro, it's like you are not getting announcers or anything really talking about it because mm. I feel like they really don't know what it is yet. Like I don't, it seems like it's like this just weird unknown thing that's gonna be sprung upon the audience on Saturday. So I'm really I'm really excited to see like how it is. And all the different impressions we get from, like, Meltzer and everyone else as far as, like, how it plays out or how the wrestling world reacts to it. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm ready yeah, I'm uh, ready and raring to go for that sold out. I
0: have not watched the show, but I have started to do that kind of research to put my notes together. And it is interesting, let's say. This, this episode will kind of serve as a tease to that. And that actually transitions into the next thing I was going to say, which is this is one of our bonus episodes in which uh, we follow our Nitro reviews. In this case, it followed not only our Nitro, but also our review of Clash of the Champions 34. Uh, So it's a companion, if you will, to episode 71 and episode 71 and a half. Uh, That last Nitro, of course, was the January 20th, 1997 Monday Nitro, which we reviewed with friend of the show, Magnum CK. Now we are doing things in a little bit of a unique order as we decided to do Nitro then Clash the Champions, and now we're doing Worldwide before the pay-per-view. Uh, the paper, sometimes with, with Worldwide, we do the pay-per-view results on here if it's a pay-per-view that we're not interested in covering in full, uh, but we are going to cover sold out in full. We've got a, a plan out to record that, and since we always here on Worldwide Edition give the results for Saturday night, and since the pay-per-view takes place on Saturday night, Uh, This week's edition of WCW Saturday Night almost functioned, even though it was pre-taped in a different location, it almost functions as a Mm pre-show for sold out. They certainly hype up the card and tell you what to see. So it made sense that we would run worldwide as a precursor to lead up to our sold out coverage, which uh, should be out. So... Just based on on how long it's probably going to take to get through our notes and record that. We're not going to record it for probably about another week from where we are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, six days, actually, because we, we do have a plan. But So it'll probably be a bit, especially for what you guys have got used to as I've been pumping out all these episodes. Um, but I do have, to get us between this ep- the release of this episode of Worldwide and that episode of Sold Out, I do have something... Uh, and I'm not going to spoil it. I, I'm terrible at keeping secrets, but I'm so excited about this one that I'm going to keep it. I do have a special piece of audio that should come out later this week that I'm extremely excited about. Uh, so so just look for that in your feeds because uh, I think it'll tide you guys over and it's going to be something that's that's really special for me personally and I think will be special for the show. Now, before we move on to everything else that happened in wrestling, back in that particular week of 1997. I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of Nitro. you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/ 20 years of Nitro and of course you can email the show at 20 years nitro at gmail.com. Now we always like to start off worldwide by looking over our recent episodes, figuring out what we could have done better. Let's issue our corrections and omissions. 20 years of nitro would like to make the corrections
1: <laughs> the corrections i forget we and don't we have like uh music for that now too we do we have fantastic music for
0: that uh recorded by friend of the show eastman presser
1: oh yeah yeah i feel like i feel like you sent that to me once too
0: i did i yeah and he it's a, it's a fantastic theme i love listening to it and he just celebrated his birthday so happy oh. birthday eastman
1: Oh, uh, something I was going to mention as far as the just a side note, just a just a little thing that wouldn't fit anywhere else. Um, when I listened to the Dave Penzer um, interview that you did with him, and there was a whole the whole thing about um, uh, what was the what, who Gary um the previous uh, Gary Michael Capetta? Yeah, yeah, the I,
0: world's I, most dangerous announcer. Yes, <laughs> and that how, was his. That was I didn't make that up. That was his gimmick.
1: Oh, nice. Something that Bruce Buffer probably <laughs> wanted to take. Um, but, um, <laughs> I always, I liked the thing about how he had this animosity with Michael Buffer, um, kind of taking his oh, the yeah. event spots and how he felt disrespected and, and that's kind of how he left wrestling and how in comparison, Dave Penzer's like, just as long as the check clears, I don't really care. <laughs> um, yeah. but I liked that, um, once the interview ended, then you went to like your Eastman Presser's song <laughs> right away and it has yeah. Michael Buffer in it.
0: I, I thought about that when I was putting it together, and uh, I was wondering like, is this gonna come across the <laughs> wrong way? But I was like, that's our that's our good outro song. It's yeah. such a great outro. No, I was... didn't want to not use it, but I I did. I noticed that when yeah. I was editing. No,
1: it. I, I definitely thought it was, I thought it was funny, <laughs> um, and it it was definitely like unintentional humor. But then, um, th- there there was that nice like Michael Buffer comment that um, like Dave Penzer's like brother god or something like that oh yeah yeah that's right that he was the talent whereas michael buffer was just the catchphrase so um
0: yeah and it was the second place i'd heard just this last week that um that michael buffer contrary to kind of and this is all made up in my head there was no reason i thought this but i would have pictured him as coming in and being real stuck up real above wrestling kind of like a jerk mm -hmm. but like no apparently i've heard multiple sources that i i've just heard podcasts or people mention on Twitter. Sounds like he was just the nicest guy, that he came in with a great attitude, loved everyone, super respectful. So, like, uh, yeah, it, it made me see Michael Buffer in a whole new light. I, I still don't know that paying him all that money to come in, you know, I don't think it sold any pay-per-views. Right. But, hey, you know what? If he was a nice guy and he went in and got his money, good for him. What do I care?
1: Yeah, no, I, that I always kind of had that idea, too. I mean, I think it's just... Uh, how we get impression like when it comes to like class that like he just he looks like he is he dresses and presents himself as like an upper class person and your immediate impression is like those kind of people look down upon like middle or lower class people that sort mm-hmm. of thing he just has this he does ha- certainly have this look which you would think that he would kind of like look down his nose um at people but yeah you know uh, but no, I was just going to say that like that part at the end was just funny and I noticed it and I had a good <laughs> laugh.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, in our Clash of the Champions episode, this is more of a it's more maybe not even a correction or omission. This is more just further information. But I mentioned Lee Marshall's conspicuous name drop of Clear Lake, Iowa resident Lynn Scribbins. No, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still have not solved this case, uh-huh. but I did piece together that longtime WCW employee Sonny Ono is around the same age as Ms. Scribbins, and he grew up uh, just 15 minutes from Clear Lake, Iowa in Mason City. So I am wildly speculating that maybe it was a friend of his or a cousin uh-huh. or a girlfriend who who knows what that's just my guess right now. Is that what possible reason would they have for mentioning this woman on Clash of the Champions? I tweeted at Sonny Ono, he didn't answer. He's he's uh no selling me just like Lynn Scribbins herself continues to do over on
1: Facebook. Well, and I so I think I'm gonna solve this one, damn it. And I think that's I think that's okay that you haven't heard from Sonny Ono because I feel like any sort of interaction with Sonny Ono it's going to just not be good for your side of things.
0: Yeah. He's going to ask me for money for just like answering that one question. Sure. <laughs> or,
1: or once he knows who you are, if you try to talk to someone else that maybe he knows that he will get oh, involved. God, yeah. Like I feel, I feel like he's the kind of guy where it's like, I could maybe make contact with him, but I don't know if that's a good thing.
0: He's a character. Right. I sp- let's leave. <laughs> yes. Uh, Another little bit of extra information, so uh, in the omission category, uh, back on Nitro, a couple weeks ago in our episode that we did with Darren Corbin, we had that famous moment in New Orleans where DDP put on the the NWO shirt and then turned on Hall and Nash, yep. gave the the Diamond Cutter all that. Uh, so I happened to because I was I wanted to get his full comments on sold out. I finally paid uh for there's like a three hour kevin nash uh kayfabe commentaries is the company that did it shoot interview where he talks just about 1997 wcw mm-hmm. they basically lay out the year chronologically and get him to talk about different things and so they asked him about that angle and he said that that was something that he and hall had pushed for uh which and and you know i'll, I'll always try to figure out what's a truth and what's a lie and and it seemed completely Completely truthful to me um, what he said and, and his description of it was like this you know he and Hall were friends with Page because they had all worked together during both Hall and Nash's first stints in WCW. Yeah, So they were friends with him and they felt that, that if anything Paige was held back from where he could have been based on how over he was because of his friendship with Bischoff. Bischoff was like afraid that if he pushed DDP too much people would be like That's because he's the boss's friend. He's the boss's neighbor. This is BS, you know. So they they were like, we want to give Paige a rub. We want to, you know, get him over more than he is. So they pushed for the angle where he would make them look stupid. They would go out there really for the first time and look, you know, be the butt of the joke. And uh, so they pushed and it was supposed to happen for like three weeks. And it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And it was supposed to be. Uh, like a longer segment, it kept getting cut down and cut down. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that it was so short, uh, rather than being like some long drawn out thing where people had chance to like say stupid lines, oh yeah, and the fact that it got pushed back t- so that it was in New Orleans at the Superdome in front of a lot more people than they would have had at any of the nitros before that, I think that was all like serendipitous. That ended up making making the moment all that much better.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. I think yeah, everything about that worked so well and and definitely sounds like that circumstances just came together like the right place at the right time for that
0: so with that out of the way it's time to change the channel over to usa because it's time for our raw recap Now, I actually watched a lot of this, Raw because we talked about it quite a bit uh, in our Nitro coverage because we were talking with Magnum about the opening, the hot opening over on Nitro, which was Randy Savage returning and sitting in the ring and then Sting repelling from the rafters. Yeah. Uh, And so we looked up while we were doing the show. We looked up what was happening live on Raw at the same time. And that was Bret Hart coming out to confront Vince McMahon over the controversial finish to the 97 Rumble match, which had been held just the night before, mm-hmm. Brett cuts a really good promo on being screwed, all the different times that that's happened to him since he re-signed with WWF just the previous fall, and then uh, quits the WWF. Then Stone Cold comes out, cuts a really good promo about how Brett has done nothing but whine and cry. Uh, so, like, it was a really, really good segment Uh, and and a little bit. And they've done this before this promo. But one of those moments where they're peeling back the curtain a little bit because Brett is very explicit in the promo about directing it towards Vince McMahon. Yeah. Uh, You know, he's and not just because he's like the announcer. He's like, you've screwed me. You've made these decisions. And when he quits, Vince goes to the back rather than spend the night on commentary. He goes to the back like he's got to, you know, do important business or whatever mm-hmm. which kind of it leads to jr and king being on announced duties which i don't that might not be the first time that it was just the two of them yeah but it didn't happen a lot back then so that was kind of a precursor of of raw's greatest duo uh notably behind them there's a guy in a four horseman shirt that, <laughs> that i noticed Sweet.
1: yeah and in 97 especially for bret hart i think you know People like to say that he was a bad at promos, and I'm, I don't think... I never thought he... It's not his strongest suit uh, being promos, but I never thought he was bad at them. He's just sometimes a little bit, like, mistake-prone, which is different. Um, yes. But definitely, especially when you like when you look at, like, Wrestling with Shadows and a lot of, like, and book and things like that, how he was not really openly receptive, or initially receptive about playing heel. And when, yeah. you, when you think about that, it's like, well... The thing is, he also was really good at it too.
0: You know, he was really good at being a heel. His and I think his, I think his baby pace promos are fine, mm-hmm. but I think his heel promos are really when he found his his footing. Yeah, on the
1: mic, ab- absolutely. And it's not just like this, like uh, kind of like the screw, I was screwed like the whining part. But when they got the Heart Foundation going, and he's like the leader of a heel faction, like mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 all gold. Like nineteen ninety seven, Bret is just like it's gold to me. Owen and Bulldog defeated Furnace and Lafond, so
0: they're kind of repairing their relationship after the night before when Owen, uh, he eliminated Bulldog from the Rumble. Oh yeah. Then F- Farouk defeated Bart Gunn. I'm sure it was great. I, sk- <laughs> I skipped it. <laughs> <Sure>. Right. <laughs> I'm. So- I don't need to be a dick. Those are probably good. Good people. I don't know. Then Gorilla Monsoon came out to issue his ruling on the Rumble's controversial finish. He said that, of course. The ref's decision is final, and since Austin was declared the winner, that is what will be reflected in the history books. But the tainted win will not get him a title shot at WrestleMania. Hmm. Instead, he has to have a four-man elimination match, uh, which will be the main event of the next In Your House, which is being held on February 16th. That match will feature The Undertaker uh, and Vader. And Bret Hart, should he choose to accept and and not quit, essentially. Okay. Uh, and so the idea there is all three of those men were who Austin eliminated when he illegally re-entered the Rumble. So that's that's such I love it because they thought it out. They had good yeah. reasoning. The whole thing makes perfect sense. I know exactly why that match is happening with the people that it's taking place in. I feel like that's really good building towards mania booking everything makes perfect sense
1: right and 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 remember it is it is the people that he illegally eliminated this is not the actual final four of the royal rumble because Bret Hart eliminated the new diesel before <laughs> before austin because i remember uh i remember as a kid um about like well, what happens with New Diesel? How come he? How come he didn't get his spot? <laughs> but it no that that this makes more sense. But it is kind of funny where it's like no, that's not actually the final four. It's a final five. Right. There's someone conspicuous. <laughs> Someone's absent from that equation, but it is for good reason because he was like, well, well, you were eliminated legally. So sorry, New Diesel. Yes.
0: Uh, in the main event. Undertaker beat Austin by DQ when uh, Undertaker, Brett, Vader, and Austin ended up all brawling. It just broke into a big fight between oh. the four participants uh, of that upcoming pay-per-view main event. So it was a good raw, uh, sagged a bit in the middle. The Owen and Bulldog versus Furnace and Lafond. it seemed like a good match. I, I was kind of skipping because I just wanted to see the big angles and stuff. Yeah, But it was very long, and I was just like, this is more... I think Furnace and Lafond are good workers, but it was just more than, than I think... 1997 wwf fans were probably going to be invested in those characters sure yeah uh, uh, i also noticed when watching raw that when promoting la femme nikita coming up after raw uh-huh. jr jr made a big point of saying not no wimpy robin hood oh hey oh yeah. shots fired at the follow-up program <laughs> <now.
2: laughs>
1: right <laughs> well i, I sort of, like a uh, uh, after Raw, they, there was always some sort of like kind of quote unquote risque thing because there was like silk stockings was yes, another yep. one. I think I felt like there was like a wasn't there like a Baywatch After Dark? Um,
0: that was a thing. I don't remember if that was a Raw Baywatch Nights was a show. Baywatch I don't remember Nights. if that was a Raw yeah. if that was a Raw follow up or not. But okay, I definitely remember Baywatch Nights. Yeah, I believe and I might be making this up, but I believe. I saw one episode of it and it was like Mitch was investigating a werewolf.
1: Oh, okay. So it's like, words. I have to look up
0: if that's true or if that's yeah. some kind of weird twisted memory I have, but yeah. that's what I remember.
1: No, I, I, I just, I always remember that like on USA, cause like I'm at home and I'm a kid. And so it's usually something where it's like, I got to turn it off right away. Or I, or otherwise the parents are going to be like, what, what is this? What is this you're watching? Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing.
0: I always remember that buxom woman, uh, I think her name was like Rhonda Shearer, and she would she would say, USA, up all night, and she would say, like, up all night. Oh, that yeah, kinda yeah, That was kind of her yeah. gimmick.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I remember that, and I remember they had a show that was like a parody of Jerry Springer, uh, and they had a show that had, was a parody of Baywatch, and they both, it was the same guy on both of them. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. a whole rabbit hole, I guess, no <laughs> right. going down there, but remembering late night USA 90s programming. Yeah. Uh, in the ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.2 and Nitro came in with a 3.7, a 3.0 and a 4.4 mm. in Hours 1 and 2 respectively. Uh, so that's obviously a big win for Nitro on a week where WWF was really hoping to come out strong based on the Royal Rumble and what a success that was and the fact that they were live uh, so that's really big, and and we're actually going to see some pretty dramatic changes, uh, because of that, and we'll start to hint at those when we get into our dirt sheets, a little bit later on. Yeah, because it was like uh, the
1: night, it was the night after the rumble, and it, and they also had like hot angles to play off of um, after the rumble, and they start off, and it was like the focus was the the whole like the four men from the rumble, like it went throughout the whole show. Yeah. So it seemed like they just like they. Felt like they had a good thing going, and so I'm sure that this might, this is probably a week that felt that felt especially deflating because they really it, they really had like a hot program going out throughout the show that I'm sure they mm-hmm. thought would be, would be successful. A little it's a little strange that you don't hear anything about Shawn Michaels winning the championship from that episode. It, there is, like, a, I, I, when I recap Raw,
0: I kind of skip, like, promo packages. They're definitely, he's not on the show, but there is, like, a promo package oh, that talks sure. about him winning the Okay. Belt. You know, where you see, like, stills, and they play music and talk about it. So, yeah. if you watch the show, you definitely find out that he won the, the championship. Gotcha. Uh, WCW opened the night with a 3.2 to 2.1 edge, so as good as that heart segment was it was getting clobbered by Randy Savage sitting in a chair in an empty ring (laughs) (laughs) the gap stayed large throughout the hour until WWF closed the gap a little bit with Austin and Taker which was going head-to-head with Malenko versus Ultimo Dragon but when I say they closed the gap like WCW still had a 3.0 to 2.5 lead yeah and then in the second hour Nitro peaked at a 4.6 which was the period when Bush Bischoff took over on commentary and they had Shono versus Taylor, Hall versus Booker T, and Luger versus Stevie Ray.
1: Boy, those um, NWO commentary segments are just rough. Like, like Bischoff does just does not have a good idea as far as like how how much he should be in character and how much he mm-hmm. should be doing play by play. And it's just like I, I feel like that it's kind of to it's been like to a weakness now that they're. Very much like improvising, what they're talking about out there, and it will be very interesting to see for an entire three-hour paper. Oh god, I didn't even think of that.
0: Because yeah, Bischoff is the commentary team is Eric Bischoff and uh, Teddy Biasi. So oh god, oh, will, that's not gonna be good. That's a big concern of mine. Uh, but I am I'm in, interested in the exact thing you're talking about, which is how much does he do regular commentary, and how much is he doing NWO heel... Is he going to do a three-hour NWO heel promo? Mm. You know? Uh, as much as it might not make a ton of sense for him to, um, to you know, do straight commentary, it's almost going to be necessary for that to be a watchable program.
1: Definitely. And, I mean, I love Ted DiBiase, but, like, the periods in which he's been on commentary, it's like, yeah, he was not born to do commentary like just yeah, because you can I do would. good c- character promos does not mean you can do commentary they're they're two different completely different beasts yeah and just the sound of those two doing that for three hours sounds rough so that will be definitely interesting how that plays out
0: so as i mentioned uh in some hints of things to come losing the rating battle on a live episode coming off a huge Royal Rumble, set off alarm bells with both the WWF and the USA Network. And Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer says that ideas such as going live more often and expanding to two hours are being considered. Dun, dun,
1: dun. (laughs)
0: Uh, And spoiler alert, I mean, everyone knows that Raw goes to two hours eventually. Uh, But when I say that this is the impetus, I'm not joking because Raw will be two hours starting in two weeks. February 3rd, oh, 1997 okay. is when... Th- so it was like this... When I say they panicked because of this particular loss, yeah. I, I'm not exaggerating. It it was like two weeks
1: later they were doing two-hour Raws. I mean, I mean, but like back when Nitro went to two hours, you kind of... In the, in the wrestling world, you kind of felt like at some point Raw had to match that. You know, yes, 100%. It, yep. it just it, it seemed like it was a matter of when and not if, but no, that's definitely interesting. It's like, it's like literally the meeting they have about this and the reaction to it is like um, it, it's implemented as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, So that'll be interesting. We'll, well, I'll be interested in, in like the just the complete garbage jobber matches they have to fill up those two hours because. They did. They, yeah, they, they have a lot. Even for one hour, that's there's usually like one or two matches, like you mentioned. What is what was it? Bart Gunn, um, and Farouk. Yeah, some, some just completely skippable matches, and two hours are just going to double that amount of those.
0: We're going to stay with rating news for a minute because the clash of the champions that we covered on January 21st drew a 3.5 rating. Uh, so that works out to about two and a half million people, which was considered solid, mm-hmm. uh, but way down from last year's Clash that was at the same time because that one did a four point five, uh, and and considering it came the day after Live Nitro when the company is doing fantastic business, I think mm-hmm. they were a little surprised that it did do better. Like we said in that episode, there's only one more Clash to come, so the fact yeah. that they're, you know, they're a headache for everyone and they're not even pulling big ratings is certainly a reading. Why? Uh, so it started off at a 3.0 for Malenko Dragon, built to a 3.9 for Benoit Sullivan, but then Steiners and Canadians uh, it dropped down to a 3.5, and the main event finally picked up to a 4.2. So the high was was at the end for the main event. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, it was fun. like no one was disappointed. It didn't lose anyone money. Uh, but you know, it you would have expected it maybe to do a little bit better.
1: And we talked about it on the show, on on that show too. It's just like you felt like they were just filling in this card because it was one that was already on the docket. Like I I, I still feel like that that this Clash of the Champions and the one in August were already on the schedule, so they're doing them as a part of like necessity of fulfilling their obligations. But there, this is yeah, like you're talking about last year, like the January ninety six where like that one and nitro were kind of like a two-parter and they, and they used the nitro to really hype up clash of the champions. They made it like a very important event to watch. And I believe Mm -hmm. like Hogan and flair and savage and all those guys wrestled on that one. Whereas on this, you're only getting like, I, I I know when we were talking about that episode, I was mentioning like the guys that didn't even show up for it. Like almost all the main event was uh, not there. Like there's no sting. Hogan Mm -hmm. I'm giant only did a promo like it just was there's not nearly as much effort in there and I my impression is is that they're like we just want to do these two because we're just like you mentioned we're focused on pay-per-views now and maybe they see Clash of the Champions as like we don't want to just be giving away pay-per-views anymore Um, yeah so they're probably just like let's just do these two and then that's it that's the end for Clash of the Champions
0: Oh, oh, shit. What's up? Shit. Could you, could you do me a favor real
1: quick? What's up? Light the torch. Oh, you get me every time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, a oh, I wasn't fucking recording or something. Uh, like yeah. yeah. Uh, you, uh, ha, ha, um, ha. One of these days, <laughs> believe me, if I catch on, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know because you, that's like. Every week, you.
2: No, 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 I gotta talk about this fucking prick, Wade Keller, for a second.
1: Fucking get me. <laughs>
0: Mark Marrow and Sable took a week off to spend time with their daughter. Uh, They have also been expressing some concern about a planned storyline that would see Marrow start to turn heel on his wife. So it could be that they requested that time off to make a little bit of a point. Uh, I don't know. Point not received, though, because that definitely happens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't. I, I mean, you shouldn't feel that way, but. You just got to feel like this whole thing, like Mark Merrow probably feels emasculated by like, God damn it. Like Vince saw that my wife's really attractive and now sees her Mm -hmm. as like the, as the talent. And I mean, we know how, how this winds up basically, (laughs) where it's just like most people don't even remember who Mark Merrow is. Whereas they know who Sable is. I'm just curious, uh, you make a
0: really good point, and I'm just tweeting now because I'm curious about what people's opinions are. I wonder if Mark Miro and WWF would have worked better had he never been paired with Sable. If they had just been introduced as two totally different characters that never interacted whatsoever.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would think so. Um, I mean, unless unless it was just a thing where it's like once Vince met Sable and he just maybe he couldn't disassociate the two. Yeah. Um, Right. Or, and having Vince Russo, like the ultimate, one of the ultimate pervs of wrestling, there as well, didn't help things either.
0: Oh, for, yeah, for sure. Uh, in other news covered by Wade Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch, Livewire, WWF Livewire, will no longer have the live interactive segments that are kind of the staple of the show with viewer calls and faxes. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's like a lot of WWE shows. It started off as something kind of crazy and different, and yeah. it'll just slowly be watered down to be like every other WWE show.
1: Right. Once it's like, oh, oh, wait, this is something we don't have uh, 100% like control over, then they're like, oh, now mm-hmm. we're not interested.
0: Billy and Bart Gunn's contracts are both coming due, and Wade Keller has heard that one or both of them might be WCW bound. Hmm. It's interesting, and 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 I only cover some of the things they say. Uh, it's interesting that when it comes to f- speculating what could happen in the future, I feel like from the small sample size we have that it's Dave Meltzer has a better batting average than Wade Keller does. Like, oh sure, Wade sure. seems to throw out a lot of names that we never actually like. Mm-hmm. You know, living here in the future, we know that that doesn't happen. Yeah, um, and they both miss sometimes. Nobody's perfect with their reporting. And, and hey, his reporting might have been perfect. Those guys might have talked about coming into WCW, and it just didn't happen. But it seems like more with Wade, or th- when like I hear something like that, I'm like, well, wow, weird, because that never happens. I wonder what he was talking about. Yeah. Ted Turner spoke recently at a cable convention of some kind. Uh, it was c- apparently carried on C-SPAN. Whoa. And when he opened the floor to... Riveting. When he opened the floor to... <laughs> 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 well, when he... I'm just imagining watching that now. Uh, When he opened the floor to questions, the very first question was, why did Hulk Hogan turn bad? Oh, no. I hope that was like an esteemed member of the press in a suit. (laughs) Why did Hulk Hogan turn bad?
1: And the thing is, it's like, I think Ted, uh, because, you know, there's a whole like, hey, Vince, I'm getting into the wrestling business. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never gotten the impression that he really understands, like, the intricacies of wrestling. And and that could even be something where he's like, I don't even know what he's talking about, you know, of Hulk yeah. Hogan being bad. Like, I could feel, I could I could <laughs> believe that that Ted Turner was, like, that oblivious to what was actually going on on the shows itself.
0: Hey, that's what's interesting, though. He said, why not change is good? Then he talked for about two minutes about the success of WCW, its high ratings, hmm. and even plugged the NWO 900 line. Oh wow!
1: I should have so apparently- <laughs> I should have let you finish.
3: <laughs> Jesus.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So apparently Ted Turner was very aware of what was going on with WCW, which I I I'm as surprised as you are. But wow. that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. As of Friday, January 24th, WCW had already sold 4,000 tickets. Uh, for eighty thousand dollars in San Francisco for Super Brawl. That's going to be at the Cow Palace. Oh, nice! The S- the Sacramento Nitro uh, advance that's coming up is up to thirty eight thousand dollars, and the Atlanta Omni advance is up to an amazing for that market. And those are Wade's words. Uh, four thousand three hundred thirty four paid. For $70,000. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, those are all... You know, keep in mind those aren't huge numbers now, but those are all advanced tickets. By the time we get there, those will be significantly more. So, yeah, it is a ticket bonanza, uh, apparently. And I think this was... um, Because Meltzer had the same story with those advanced numbers. And uh, I think in his blurb about it, he mentioned that there was, like, Nitro or, or on Nitro or somewhere, WCW brags that people were camping out to get tickets. <laughs> and right. that is... That is true. in In one market, I think it was in Sacramento, uh, there were like people who camped out to be there the next morning to buy tickets right away, which is like never happened for WCW before.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely points just last year in 1996 in which you probably didn't hear anything about advance paid tickets. You know, right? We would get yep. more of like, I mean, there's there's still like some papering going on, but like. There was a lot more, I remember, you know, when we were always talking about like the uh, the, the crowds for Nitro's of how much was paper, how many were free. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't hear anything about like advanced tickets. So like this is, <laughs> this yeah. is a dramatic change. And it's like, it, it is really stunning considering that just a couple of weeks ago it seemed like the first time they were like, they said, why don't we go into like a, a bigger arena, something that has like, or 12 or 15,000 and they just like they've hit the ground running as far as like the bigger arenas are concerned like any bigger Mm -hmm. arena they're like oh wait there's there are fans to fill this up who who knew (laughs) well that brings us to a
0: little segment that we like to call observe this
3: observe this brother This is what we call a rag sheep.
0: sheep. In all Japan pro wrestling, Mitsuharu Misawa captured the Triple Crown Championship for the third time on January 20th in Osaka by pinning Kenta Kobashi after about 42 minutes. Uh, So since those are two of the biggest names of all time and that was a championship change, we don't talk a lot of all Japan, but it felt Uh notable. In other All Japan news, Giant Baba, who is running that organization, the founder of, of All Japan, he had a meeting with Atsushi Onita, uh, who is the guy who runs FMW. Okay. And they're talking about doing an All Japan versus FMW feud, so that could potentially be big, big business for everyone.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, after uh, New Japan had its feud, like the, the feud that Bischoff got the NWO feud idea from, with um, U- UWFi U- and New Japan. Yeah, um, there def- there's a few years after that in which they there are it seems like there are some sort of copycats or like trying to repeat that success. Um, well,
0: yeah, because the next year at the Dome, you know, they the the January Fourth Tokyo Dome show that just happened in 1997. Yeah, it was like a was a uh, big Japan. Yeah, yeah. So yep. it
1: seems like they're trying to they capture the same success, but it's uh, my impression is it's not quite as successful the first the. Second and third time around.
0: Uh, You remember in a recent... I think it was the last Worldwide we did. I talked about Vampiro turning down a role of a border patrol officer on a Mexican soap opera.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So a little more specific information. The character that he... He was supposed to play an immigration officer who was supposed to rape and murder illegal immigrants in the U.S. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just... And he might have said no to playing any immigration officer, but, like, once those details, like, yeah, I could see where he, where a babyface wrestler would not
1: think it was a good idea to
0: play that part.
1: Or or, or he might have been like, whoa, 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 wait. (laughs) What kind of immigration officer? Like a a cool one? (laughs) They're like, um, (laughs) we will get back to you.
0: (laughs) uh all japan women's wrestling they also they had i don't know they had a couple different titles and they unified them uh i didn't write down the names but i did write down that they are losing money uh because you know that was a really really great organization for a while with some fantastic matches that was huge in japan yeah uh, but we are starting to really see the decline of of that promotion unfortunately over in ECW, the plan right now is to have a Michinoku Pro six-man tag match at some of their shows in mid-February that are happening in the Boston area, and then bring some of those wrestlers back for the pay-per-view show in April. Michinoku Pro, that is uh, Great Sasuke's hmm. promotion in Japan. Okay. So, yeah. So, he's he's got some guys, and some of those same guys will eventually come to WCW. Uh, so I don't know if it's the exact same, but the guys from, you know, Michinoku Pro who worked with and were trained by no. Sasuke. Uh, so yeah, there's a relationship there between them and ACW.
1: I was, uh, since you did mention great Sasuke, I did see on Twitter when someone, I can't remember who, but someone was having, like ha- has a had a gif of great Sasuke um, when he was the J crown champion, which he'll, he'll win it in the summer. He'll be the one that gets it from Liger and they were pointing out that when Sasuke had it, he also had five other uh, championships to his name mm. at the time. And so they're talking about I think it was uh, just a mentioning as far as like wrestlers that had like the most active championships to their name at once. So mm. so that that had Sasuke, he had thirteen championships at the same time.
0: That's bonkers, which is
1: crazy. But it's also like it's great. Sasuke in 1996. I mean, there's only only a handful of uh, junior heavyweights were above him at that time, too. So, UFC
0: star Don Fry was interviewed recently on a Texas radio station and asked about rumors, and I've not read these rumors until reading this note about these rumors, mm-hmm. but apparently he was asked about rumors that he's going to replace Steve McMichael in The Four Horsemen. Huh. <laughs> And according to Don Fry, he has been talking regularly to Ric Flair about it, and he hopes that it happens.
1: Okay. That could also be a whole lot of nothing.
3: <laughs> Those rumors
1: could uh, yeah. be courtesy of Don Fry too.
0: Well, it's certainly based on, yeah, living here in the future. That seems probable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Although, also, based on the evidence of what we've seen of Stephen Michael in the ring, I could believe <laughs> that a replacement might be considered in the future.
0: Yeah, and at least you know you'd because uh, Don Fry, he shows up in New Japan in '97, um, so he he does get trained as a wrestler. Now whether he's being trained as of you know this moment in January, I I guess I don't know the answer, but yeah, I think we've seen that guys like Ken Shamrock and Don Fry and um, Severn, uh, Dan Severn. That's exactly what I was trying to remember. That they needed you know they needed less training because. A lot of it was just learning how to pull their punches. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh so like as opposed to Mongo who came from a he a non combat sport, mm-hmm. I think like, yeah, it's reasonable to think, hey, if I've got Mongo who's had almost no training, I could probably get Don Fry where I need him to be a lot quicker than I can get Mongo to where I need him to be. Right.
1: Also Don Fry might be willing to train, whereas Stephen Michael <laughs> does not seem willing to do that. <laughs>
0: Brian Pillman is expected to be back in action in about three more months. Uh, hopefully his ankle will be better. I don't know why I said hope, like, I know how it goes. I, right. <laughs> his ankle's never really better. Uh, but but in in if I put myself in the mindset of, of this day in history, yeah, that's that's what they were thinking. Yeah. Dr. Jerry Graham died on Friday, January 24th, 1997. He is famous for selling out Madison Square Garden many times. He was a six-time WWWF tag champion and is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. A tag match that he was involved with in 1957 led to a riot so large that it led to a ban on children under 14 uh, at Madison Square Garden wrestling shows that lasted for 20 years.
1: Wow. Good for him.
0: Although, yeah, well, so here's some, some... more interesting notes about the guy. Although his real name was Jerry Graham, he had a dual identity of sorts as uh, he lived in Southern California and he was arrested so often for drunken disorderlies that he would start giving his name to the cops uh, as Richard Hertz or sometimes just Big Dick Hertz.
1: Yeah, I was catching on to that. Uh,
0: <laughs> he also lied about his age. To, and this is, so this is a true story. I, I guess uh, I'll interrupt talking about Jerry Graham to tell us this, this brief story. One time when I was applying for a job, I had to go in for a drug test. So this was at a urology clinic. This is all, you know, this is dicks or like half their business, right? Yep. And there was, I didn't meet this doctor, but I saw a, a card for it and picked up and carried in my wallet for many years. The business card of a urologist whose actual name was Richard Hertz. H-I-R-T-Z. Nice. I could not believe that was a real name, and uh, I carried that business card with me for many, many years. Uh, Anyway, uh, other things about Jerry Graham. He lied about his age to serve in World War II, and one time he used a shotgun to steal his mother's corpse from the hospital after she died, uh, and that caused him to spend some time in a mental health facility. reasonable. Uh, It's a pretty nutty story. Uh, Billy Graham wrote about in his book. You can find the quotes pretty easy if you want to just Google it. Uh, I I have the whole quote here, but it's pretty dark stuff. I think I'm going to skip past it. Okay. If you want to hear about Jerry Graham stealing his mother's corpse, though, you can find that story online. And it's Jer- there has b- Jerry Graham right, Doctor Jerry Graham.
1: Yes. Okay. I kept thinking Billy of Billy Graham.
0: Su- yeah, superstar Billy Graham was part of his like stable of people named. I think they were called the Golden Grams. Uh, so they were like, well, like storyline the- related, <laughs> but they are not related in real life. Golden Grahams like the cereal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know what to tell you. It is Golden Graham's, like, the cereal. <laughs> and and then isn't there also... Wasn't there a famous, like, televangelist that was Graham? That was a, a Billy Graham.
0: Yeah. There were two Billy Grahams, the wrestler and the televangelist. Oh,
1: I was... Because you you're saying that... Like, first you said it. I was like, for some reason, you decided to talk <laughs> about, like, the televangelist dying. And I'm like, oh, why okay. is he bringing this up? I mean... I don't <laughs> just to gloat about it. <laughs> right? <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. There has been a major war of words in the press between Conan and Antonio Pena, the owner of AAA. Mm. Those guys have been. Hey, I guess I shouldn't even say. There's, like it's just continuing would be a more accurate way of saying it. Right. Uh, Pena gave an interview after the Royal Rumble and talked about how well his wrestlers got over and how pleased the WWF was with him. He said, uh, Vince McMahon told uh, Piroth what a great job he did, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Conan said that they all did shitty and it sucked, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I'm being, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Right. Then, then Pena went on to say how in WCW they don't give any of Conan's guys a push and they only let them wrestle each other, which is a good point. Most of Conan's guys that he brings in just wrestle each other. Uh-huh. No one's getting pushed for a title or anything. But like, Pena's guys also only face each other in a six-man tag at the Rumble,
1: and then the rest were in the Rumble. Right. It's not like
0: they were pushed as singles stars or anything. They were just in the Rumble match.
1: Yeah, why, why don't you l- let me know how many were on Raw the next day or <laughs> were in the <laughs> WWF ever again. That brings
0: us to our Saturday night results over. Uh, I watched this earlier. Not today, was it? No, today's Monday. God. Wow, I've been in quarantine, like, that was a real moment where days were super blending together. I watched this yesterday. Uh, It was not, I I watched it partially because I thought uh, it was going to be, like, a live pre-show for Sold Out. I was really excited to talk about it. Uh It's not, it was taped in Green Bay on, like, Wednesday after Clash of the Champions. All right. Tony and Dusty open the show in front of Lambeau Field because it's Green Bay. It is like w- w- Wisconsin winter, so and they're both Southern boys, so they're both very cold, and it's very funny to me. Uh-huh. Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeated Disco Inferno, who still can't. He couldn't this week. He couldn't find his diagram oh. of the how to apply his leg hold, yeah. so he's still doing that that gimmick. I still find it funny. Ultimo Dragon defeated J.L. Tony told us that uh, in a newly announced match, Diamond Dallas Page will face Scott Norton at the pay-per-view tonight. Oh, okay. In uh, NWO promo then run da- ran down the entire card of the show tonight. And one thing that was notable, because we've talked about this a lot, and, and in fact we, we looked this up on Wikipedia when we went through the card, they
1: announced a Mexican death match between Bubba and Conan. So oh so on Saturday night they say it's between Bubba and Conan. Yes,
0: okay. which would be which would be I mean it makes sense because it's a Mexican death match and it would be the natural blow off of their feud, you know. They've right. they've had a strap match, they've had a chain match, they've had a normal match. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing a Mexican death match. It, it makes sense. Now, as we know from already going over the card that is not the match that happens but I'll save the reason for why it's not super fascinating. But I'm still gonna save it. That's a little, that's a little tease for Sold Out. Yes. We'll talk about why Conan is not on the show now. Why they're still running promos for on Saturday Night, which is keep in mind this is airing two hours before Sold Out starts. Mm-hmm. So by now they know he's not going to be there, <laughs> and they're still running this promo. I guess that's another story that I, there's going to be no answer other than like laziness. That's that's the. The true fact. Of the matter. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> okay.
0: High voltage defeated the Extremists. The Extremists are the team of Ace Darling and Devin Storm. Okay. I think I mentioned recently that they were coming in for a tryout. That was their tryout. They went on and faced high voltage
1: on Saturday night. Boy, I mean, if they were able to make high voltage look good, they should get signed right away. <laughs> uh, we then got a video package that was kind of cool
0: of Lex Luger at the Packer Hall of Fame. Uh, Lex Luger was on the Green Bay Packer roster for the entire 1982 season, but never played uh, due to a groin injury. So he was listed on the the injury list for the entire season. Then uh, during training camp 1983, he was released. But uh, he's a big enough star now that they put up a picture of him in the Packer Hall of Fame. Now, you and I have been to the Packer Hall of Fame. I do not remember a picture of Lex Luger. I wonder if they took that down, like, when Miss Elizabeth died. <laughs> I don't mean to get morbid, but, like, I wonder if they took that
1: down at some point. Yeah, I I, I do not remember that either, so. Or or maybe it's just a photo on a wall somewhere that yeah, maybe you would have noticed, be. maybe you wouldn't have.
0: Uh, Chris Jericho defeated Super Kolo. Of course, Chris Jericho, I think that's the first person. There's multiple, but that's the first person who's on the show tonight. Who is on sold out. So oh, even though okay. they keep saying, like, hey, the show's tonight, they're they're giving you some big clues that Saturday night might not be entirely on the level as <laughs> far as <laughs> sure. live presentation goes. Yeah. Bobby Eaton defeated Dave Taylor. Uh Mongo and Arn took on the faces of fear. Oh, so yeah. So there was what was supposed to be a six man tag. It was the faces of fear and Hugh Morris, and they were supposed to face Mongo, Arn, and Benoit. Mm-hmm. But Benoit was a no show to further the horseman stuff. Uh it was explained as like travel issues, but still they went out there without Benoit. Mm. Uh Mongo had to do some some wrestling. It was not that bad. He did a drop kick, if you can believe it. I feel like he's he's attempted those before too. This one was not that bad. Okay. All things considered. All right. Uh then Jeff Jarrett showed up thinking he could just take the third spot so he shows up he gets in the apron he tags himself into the match and then
1: starts wrestling the
0: face of fear (laughs) and they just get disqualified because he's not in the match
1: oh okay i i could have i could have also believed that the referee just would have allowed that too
0: i know that's the funny thing in wrestling that happens all the time but for once they like followed what the rules would be yeah like no you can't you can't do that right Uh, So the heels beat up Jarrett and the horsemen just leave him to get his ass kicked. Uh, And then Arn and Mongo give a promo. And it's noticeable in this one. The reason I go into so much detail here is Mongo is pissed at Jarrett now. Like, he's on Arn's side. He's like, this guy's not a horseman. What the hell is he doing? Mm -hmm. We lost the match because of this joker. So it's only Deborah who is on Jarrett's side at this point. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page then defeated Mark Starr. Scotty Riggs defeated The Gambler, who is still employed.
1: Scotty Riggs, St- who was also going to wrestle that night.
0: Yeah, yep. Uh, and Steven Regal defeated Chavo Guerrero. And then in the main event, Public Enemy defeated Harlem Heat by disqualification. When Cherry interfered, she wound up then going through a table with Johnny Grunge. It was like a deal where they were both in the apron... And she's between grunge and the ropes, so oh. he goes through the table with all of his weight. Mm-hmm. He did he did a very good job protecting her, uh, but it still was, like, a pretty sick spot. Uh, it Who cares? It's Saturday night, but, like, for all the pushing they've been doing of Harlem Heat, they should not lose even a disqualification match to the likes of Public Enemy. Right. That didn't make any sense to me y- at all. Yeah. All right, well... The last thing that we've been doing lately is we like to give people something to occupy their mind, their time with in quarantine. Now, I'm going to take mine a little bit different because I put up something on Twitter the other day that got kind of popular, but I realize not everyone is on Twitter or maybe they don't follow me on Twitter because I, I don't know, talk too much about my kids or something. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention this on Worldwide. This is exactly the kind of thing that Worldwide's here for so that people could play from home. And that is, uh, you may have seen memes like this. Maybe not. If you're not on Twitter, it might not be popular elsewhere, but basically it's a choose your quarantine house theme, uh, meme. So I've got, I've got, it's a choose your quarantine house game. I've got six houses with five residents each, and you have to pick which one of these houses you are going to live with during quarantine. So I'm going to go through each of these Dave as I get to the end you could you know give a couple of your thoughts on these houses and then at the end Dave you're gonna pick uh, but I, I want people to if you're not on Twitter I want you to email in. I want you to send us on Facebook tell us which quarantine house you're living in house number one you've got Ice Train, Brad Armstrong, Big Bubba, Akira Hokuto,
1: and Lee Marshall
0: what stands out to you there?
1: Um, well, I'm like, what? what's the one Japanese women's wrestler doing in there? She seems like the odd person out. Uh, was this an attempt to make sure that there was a female in every one of them?
0: I was trying to put a, a woman in every one. I was trying to keep it to 97 and earlier, and I was uh-huh. trying to keep it, for the most part, to lower card characters or people that like weren't you know a main event type star. There's no stings. There's no DDPs. Yeah. Uh, And I'm just trying to like make it as interesting as possible. So, like, hey, maybe you're going to have fun talking to Lee Marshall, and uh, you know Brad Armstrong. I always hear is a fun guy. Uh, Big Bubba is a big party. Like, is that too much party having Big Bubba in there? And and then yeah, and 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 then there's a very a very very tough Japanese woman in there. I don't know how much English she speaks. So now that's something you got to keep in mind.
1: And and you got uh, another plus would be you got a couple. You have like a few bigger guys. So you might think that like. Like you might be able to get a pretty sweet like barbecue night out. Oh yeah, you know, put some steaks on the grill. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean these guys, these all. I mean, they all seem like pretty fun guys. I feel like, in the back of my mind, I feel like that like Big Bubba might be an issue if he if he gets hammered. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there no one stands out there as like, oh, that's a very like interesting personality or anything like that. Um,
0: What what I like here is that you've got Lee Marshall, and so you might not get bullied as much because they'll have Lee Marshall to pick on. mm -hmm. You know, that's a a nice thing for me. Moving on to House 2, we've got Stevie Ray, Deborah McMichael, Nick Patrick, Glacier, and Juventud Guerrera.
1: Yeah, now that's a good variety of people. Um, Like, Stevie Ray has proven to be very like a very interesting guy that has done like uh, podcasts and and Mm -hmm. interviews and things like that after his career ended i feel like deborah would be very would be fun to be around when she's not with one of her abusive significant others um yeah i was thinking you know at first i was like i was
0: thinking about deborah and i was thinking about her the character and then i thought you know what as a person for all I know, she's a complete sweetheart. Right. All I know is the character. It's it's wrong for me to judge on that. Uh, Stevie Ray, I'm with you. He seems super nice. Glacier, you and I met, and mm. he was like just the world's best guy. Seemingly.
1: Um, I feel like I feel like Nick Patrick would reveal himself to be a good, just a good pal to be around. Probably, probably is. Uh, he's probably a lot funnier than you realize. Mm, that um, could be. I think that he might be the surprise, like uh, sense of humor of the group. I
0: think Hooven too is the downfall of this house. Like, I think he's going to go nuts. I think he's going to be partying, like, all night. Yeah. every, every He's going to be the guy you want. He's going to be, like, the puck from the real world San Francisco, only you can't vote him out because right. it's quarantine. <laughs> In House 3, we've got the booty man, Zodiac, Brother Brutai, the man with no name, and the disciple. Now, a lot of people on Twitter were pointing out, like, A, there was a really funny number of people that said, That's just the same guy, as if I didn't realize that. That was a coincidence that I was so dumb I didn't realize. That was very, very funny to me. Uh, But there was also a lot of people who were, like, using it as a loophole. Like, hey, there's more food in the house because I'm only sharing it with one guy. Or, like, that's going to be the quietest house because there's only one other person. In my mind, it was five Ed Leslie's fully living each of these gimmicks.
1: And the thing is, like... The, because even if it's like five of them, there's the same gimmick. They know each other very well. So they're not interested mm-hmm. in getting to know each other. They're all interested in getting to know you. So you would yeah. never have time to yourself because At, all of them want to be your new pal.
0: And there is no way that, that you are not doing all of like, let me rephrase this. Plus, you know, in that house, you are doing all of the chores. Yeah, there. You live with five Ed Leslies. There's gonna be garbage on the floor. Like it's gonna be a real pigsty, and no one is doing any work except for you.
1: Yeah, and the other one, because I mean, the other there's another one where you have Brian Nobbs, and that's another Hogan tag along. Mm -hmm. Hogan tag alongs are not doing work for themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I see the I see that's only one person as being a negative. That was like. If I'm ranking them, that one's last. That's my last option is is that <laughs> is that house. In house number
0: four, we've got Sonny Ono, Alex Wright, Scott Norton, Rick Steiner,
1: and Woman. Yeah, I'd feel a lot better about that if Sonny Ono was not in there.
0: I feel like since you're in a quarantine house, he's probably not... I mean, maybe he can't resist like trying to get money from you, right. but I feel like maybe maybe in there he'll just relax, let his hair down and tell some stories. Uh, I think Alex Wright, probably pretty fun guy to party with. Scott Norton, definitely a guy who's gonna tell a good story. Like I could just spend the whole time asking him questions about being in North Korea mm-hmm. where I think I think Sonny Ono was on that trip too. So maybe I just get those guys, you know, to tell me like, 1 hour of North Korea stories every night and I just get to look forward to that all day. I feel
1: like I feel like Alex Wright's going to be the one where it's like is it just me or have I not seen him in like 7 hours? <laughs> like where'd Alex Wright he's, go?
0: Yeah, he's just in his room listening to techno. Yeah,
1: just doing his own thing. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like Rick Steiner is definitely like the t- tonight what sort of thing do we have to deal with when it comes to Rick Steiner? Like he's
0: he's he's, he's the roommate who makes his own drama. Yeah, or he's,
1: yeah. he's just just always has never like I feel like the Steiners are kind of because they're just like sort of like they were like meathead high school wrestlers that just kind of grew up still being able to be meathead wrestlers and Mm. they just are not capable of responsibility whatsoever um I think I think woman would be like the best for like she seems like she always had her shit together so if you mm-hmm. if you needed if you wanted to go to a quarantine house where where you know someone could organize things, like she would probably be the best option available as far as like, uh yeah, making sure that ev- like everyone has like a task they have to a chore they have to do that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's not a bad one. Like four is not a bad one.
0: Uh, I'll I'll say like the most popular choices seem to be four and six, and we'll get to six in a, in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, we've got to go through number five. In House 5, we've got Jacqueline, Yuji Nagata, Teddy Long, Brian
1: Knobs, and Sergeant Craig Pittman. I just, that one, that one, I'm not sure. I feel like there's so many unknowns there. Like, all of them, I ha- I, I could not tell you what kind of personality they have in real life, you know? Pittman seems like, in his promos, and again,
0: this is just a character, but he seems like such a weird guy. Yeah. Like, he kind of scares me. And there might just be some of that Marine stuff where, like, he's waking you all up at four in the morning to do push-ups and shit. Sure. And like Brian Knobbs is screaming because he's hung over and he's not he's not waking up at four in the morning to do pushups. But like Pittman's getting in his face. It just seems like that one seems like a real disaster waiting to happen.
1: And also, you know, Brian Knobbs is like So dependent on Hogan. And if Hogan's not there, like there's a chance that he's going to attach himself to you instead. Oh, God! And you're just yeah. going to have to be Brian Knobbs like older brother the whole time. And that that would not be cool. All right, and then in number six, we've got the gambler,
0: barbarian, Medusa, Colonel Robert Parker, and Flying
1: Brian Pillman. Um, Pillman is another; he's more another along the Rick Steiner sort of line of like, what sort of shit do we have to clean up now with Flying Brian?
0: Um, I'm a little worried that he's going to be picking on me the whole time because I'm the one non-wrestler, you know? Yeah, like, right. I'm the odd man out. A lot of these houses have at least one person who's going to probably pick on you a little bit. And Barbarian and could I feel totally like in be this that one, way, too. Uh, like, he would be more casual. He would just, like, tell you to clean the kitchen mm-hmm. and know that you're going to do it because you're scared of him. Right. Pillman's going to be, like, shitting in your sock drawer, <laughs> you know? That's yes.
1: <laughs> right. Uh,
0: but I feel like Medusa is going to be a lot of fun. I feel like Robert Parker
1: is going to be a blast. Um, And then it's just uh, whatever whatever kind of personality the gambler really is. Yeah, he's kind of a
0: cipher, I guess. Uh, maybe I just thought it was funny to include him. Yeah. Maybe I could have picked a little bit bigger of a name, but I, I thought it was f- – somebody had a tweet that I liked, though. Somebody said, well, I'm definitely going in House 6 because I know the gambler has cards. And I was like, "That's <laughs> sure." I l- I like the way you are thinking yeah. about this. Um, so, anyway, if, yeah if you're if you're out there and you want to send us your wrestling house, like I said, I had a lot of fun, and please send me your reasoning because that was the most fun thing was re- reading the the mm. thought process people had
1: in why they picked these out. Um, and I I picked house two. That's the Stevie Ray, Deborah McMichael, Nick Patrick, Glacier, and Juventu Guerra. I feel I just I feel a lot more confident in what I. my expectations from each of those people and 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 knowing like i don't i don't feel like they're i mean obviously you know who might have to answer some questions but um but also like knowing i've met glacier and glacier is a legitimately nice guy i find stevie ray just to be an interesting person And I still think that Deborah McMichael by herself is probably going to be like the surprise of the group as far as Mm -hmm. someone that is just legitimately fun to hang her out. So I am confident in, in two being the house that I would I would pick.
0: All right. Well, there's one more thing that we've got here on Worldwide that we're doing all quarantine long. And that is, of course, the Lee Marshall Memorial Indie Wrestling Road Report. And uh, this week I talked to The Kenway. He is a independent wrestler out of St. Louis, Missouri. We had a fun conversation. Uh, we talked about uh, WCW. He's he's born in 97. I, or, was that right? I th- think he said 97, yeah. Uh, his parents were big wrestling fans, so he does have early memories of seeing this from, from a very early age. But, I mean, he's somebody who didn't have the chance to see a lot of the stuff that we've covered mm-hmm. uh, live when it was on because he wasn't even born yet. Uh, but he's he's a student of history. He's he's talked a lot about '70s wrestling that he liked. Uh, His parents, you know, showed him like wrestling at the Chase because you know from St. Louis they're into the Stan Mushnick stuff. Um, So it was a it was a fun conversation. We talk a lot about different stuff, wrestling, coffee. It's a pretty wide ranging conversation. He was a really fun guy to talk to. So uh, let's go to that interview now. My guest today is an independent wrestler from St. Louis, Missouri, who you may have seen in Anna Wrestling Entertainment, St. Louis Anarchy, Paradigm Pro Wrestling, and more. Please welcome to the show, Matt Kenway. Matt, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, I'm doing great yourself.
0: Uh, I'm good. The weather here in Minnesota finally turned. It was snowy and cold for a while today. Uh, it was a lot better. It was it was a little over fifty. I went for a nice bike ride, got caught in the rain, had to have my, my wife called me because it was like it all of a sudden was just windy as hell. It was pouring rain. She's like, I'm gonna come get you. So I found a daycare center that had an awning and just kind of parked under there and she came and picked me up. I, I like how I started a story with the weather was good and then it ended up with me caught in the rain, but it was good, it turned very quickly.
2: <laughs> Total weather sounds a lot like Missouri weather.
0: Oh man, yeah, I've uh, I've been to. S- I had a couple friends that went to uh, Webster University down there.
2: Oh God, yeah. So I've been
0: to. I've been to St. Louis a few times. It's a fun town.
2: It, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, you reached out when we we said we wanted to talk to independ- independent wrestlers about uh, WCW during quarantine times, and I was curious what. Uh, I get the impression, and I never know for sure, but I'm I'm like. 37 i'm old enough where i have to think about it for a long time before i say how old i am seems like you're younger than me was nitro on in your uh, in your television watching lifetime was that something you were you were ever watching in your youth
2: yes so i was born in 97 in april my god
0: it's obscene people shouldn't be allowed to be born after 1990
2: (laughs) we should just cut it (laughs) off right there but i was born then and uh I, like, my first memory of wrestling is X-Pac getting in the hot tub, or the the pudding pool during, like, a Divas segment. Okay. And then Kane getting in the pudding pool. <laughs> this is the first vivid memory I have of professional wrestling, followed closely by, like, a vignette of Sting, like, walking down a hallway with... Like, full face paint and baseball bat on from, like, a 99 Nitro. Okay. And then...
0: So is this something that would be on the house? Like, did you have siblings or uh, were of your parents into it or anything?
2: Yeah, my dad's a huge wrestling fan. My oh, okay. Mom, okay. My mom watched it uh, when she was growing up with her dad. Uh, so, and, you know, being, like, the Attitude Era, everyone was watching it, which is kind of cool. So like me and my like my dad would watch it and he would take me to early events and stuff like that. I never went to anything for WCW, which is sad though.
0: Sure. Mm,
2: but I distinctly remember like having Goldberg action figures and Kevin Nash and stuff like that. So I was definitely watching like WCW as a kid. I just don't have the most vivid memories of Nitro. But sure. I, I would. It, I know I started watching like wrestling in like '99.
0: And now that it's available through the, either through the WWE Network or various torrent sites and and tape trading stuff like that, do you go back and watch much WCW? Or are you kind of you a WWE guy? Do you stick with the independent scene? What do you like to watch when you're watching wrestling?
2: So oddly enough, I have a very like eclectic taste in professional wrestling. Uh, I will go from like independent stuff that's just wild off the wall to watching a lot of NWA produced, you know, WCCW, uh, world championship wrestling when it was just the NWA, WCW, I'm kind of a little foggy. Like I, I can't bring myself to watch anything in 94 or 95 for the most part.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Those are, those can be tough years to get through in either company.
2: Yeah, like, I can watch 94, and 95, like, WWE because, like, I love Bret Hart with passion. Like, one of my favorite wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I can't bring myself to watch Hogan in WCW because I rip my hair out every time. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, oh, look, the Dungeon of Doom. Let me take five more years off my life with stress.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we got through that. I mean, I guess technically the Dungeon are still a, a faction, but... We got through, like, the really cartoonish parts, and now it's mostly just, like, Kevin Sullivan feuding with Chris Benoit and stuff like that. The, the like, supernatural elements have greatly been toned down by by 97. That's where we're at right now with our, our kind of chronological rewatches. We're in early 97, really, when, when things start really getting good.
2: Ooh, I actually... Uh, so you guys are about a year ahead of me, because I'm in June. I'm at the first MGM taping for 96.
0: Okay, so yeah, you just got past the heel turn and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, because I started at WrestleMania 12. I figured that would be a good starting point for like a dual watch-along of WWE and WCW.
0: Doesn't it seem insane that the network doesn't have an automated way to do that? To just play everything chronologically?
2: I would love it to because you have to go back and like every time you exit, like it used to, it used to all be in chronological order. So it would just play. Like I would open one window for raw one window for nitro and I would just play them mm-hmm. and it would just go and then episodes over it would go to the next episode. And then, you know, you pause that one you go over to the raw window. Now it's like, I got to back out, go find the year 1996. Hope I remember what date I was just on. And then, yeah, it would be a great feature if they were like, watch what, what our product was doing against their product.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: 1996, wasn't that well.
0: It, I kind of wish they had done, instead of what they did with the Monday Night War documentary series or whatever you want to call it, I, I wish they would have done more of a let me watch both shows and kind of do a pop-up video or something or like a, a window in a window, a picture in a picture, I should say, so I can see... Okay. Well, this segment was on USA Network. If I'd switched over to TNT, what would I have been seeing at that time? So, if I'm a if I'm a viewer in '96, '97, '98, what am I actually choosing to watch at that time? Like, they could have made so many fun interactive features that I feel like they just they kind of cheaped out on. If it seems like.
2: Well, I, I was gonna say like, you have a great idea for this because that is something that like I would love to have on the network. I was going to say, like, oh, you should pitch that to him. Who knows? You might get a job. But as we know, they're cutting people left and right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think. It's definitely not the time to send your resume in. That's for sure.
2: Oh, sadly. Which, ugh, that's a whole other. They're moving the water coolers out again.
0: <laughs> so as you've been watching 96, is there anyone where you're like, you know, right now, especially when you're in a downtime, unfortunately, we, there's no shows to be worked. But is there anybody you're watching or are you making notes like, oh, I'm going to steal that, I'm stealing that, I'm stealing that? You know, who's catching your eye? Not just from a, a, I like to watch this guy, but like, who is somebody that you could see as an influence into your personal style?
2: Bret Hart for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't have the technical map-based prowess of a Bret Hart. Few do. Yeah, very few do. And I wasn't trained in the dungeon by Stu, so...
0: That doesn't help my case at all. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, him, I like to watch a lot of Brad Armstrong. Dean Malenko, I think, is one of my favorites to watch because I don't do a lot of the stuff that Dean Malenko does in terms of, you know, he had a good aerial base to him.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: But brilliant little, uh, you know, little cutdowns and stuff like that. Him, Jericho, I watch a lot of it for my own enjoyment. I
0: would mm-hmm. say.
2: Yeah. But, like, Benoit, of course, but, you know. I, uh,
0: That's tough. I mean, he's definitely someone who you should emulate in the ring in some ways, but uh, definitely not someone to emulate in any other aspect of your life, probably.
2: No, not at all. Uh, but it's weird to watch, the, like, go back and watch this... Uh, era of nitro and see like the top of the card is hulk hogan you know slaying giants left and right Mm -hmm. but then you go to raw or no and then you go to the undercard and stuff and everything that isn't like hogan related in some way Mm -hmm. and it's phenomenal like it's it holds up today most of the time
0: Well, they're companies with inverse problems, right? Because WCW had a phenomenal undercard, and usually the top, even if the top was getting fan interest, the matches were shit. Whereas over on the WWF side, the undercard is terrible. It's, you know, TL Hopper and Savio Vega. And I'm not not saying these guys can't work. I'm just saying the characters and the storylines aren't that great. But then their top of the card is fantastic. Shawn Michaels, Sid, Undertaker, you know? There, if you could combine them into one mega promotion, well, that's what everyone thought, right? And then we saw when WCW yeah. died, and WWE had the chance to do that, and it didn't really turn out the way anyone expected.
2: Well, it, it, to me, like, I remember the invasion when I was a kid, and, like, it was like, oh, these are WCW guys. And I remember, like, I knew, like, WWE's roster pretty well, and I knew the big-name WCW guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who in God's name half the people on that were, and then I didn't discover ECW until my dad started watching it. Uh, my dad bought One Night Stand, and that's when he was like, "Yeah, I used to watch this all the time. I never let you watch it with me, though."
0: <laughs> Reason. Yeah, yeah. We. Uh, so, do you do that in your watch along at all, or do you stick with WCW and WWF?
2: I stick with WCW WWF because they ran they both shows ran the same night and then Mm -hmm. like if if i wanted to i'm sure i could search out like a shotgun saturday night and then a wcw saturday night thing and i don't want to do there's already enough wrestling for me to watch (laughs) out in 1996 because like you said like the top of the car for wwf is amazing yeah, undercard's pretty solid sometimes like with the right guys like vega and austin have a good feud and stuff like that and mm-hmm. this interesting stuff to watch and then you get matches that are team techno 2000 versus the smoking guns and it
0: <laughs> yeah
2: so bad and like billy gunn's one of my favorite wrestlers but, like, the smoking guns is so weird because it's like, oh, well, Sonny's here. By the way, here are the Godwins who are going up against them. And meanwhile, like, Goldust is there for some reason. But there's no reason for him to be there. They're just putting him on commentary. And it's... It's it's amazing that, like, the, the change in direction from 96 to 97 that happened. Mm-hmm. Because... I'm trying to think, like, everyone is, you know, oh, WrestleMania 13 was, like, the start of WWE turning the corner. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a weird thing for me. Like
0: it, it, It's a harder thing to put a, a point on than I think people realize, because I think a lot of people, either 13 or 14, sometimes people put 14 as the start of the Attitude Era, because that's where Austin kind of gets coronated. But that... By 97, a lot of those attitude elements are in place, and it's hard to argue that that's not a part of of that shift in, in storytelling that, that WWF undertook.
2: Yeah, and I think they always kind of skip over a really big part of uh, history where it's like Austin 316 happens, and then it's like, and then he's on his way to the WWF championship, and it's like there's a year and a half <laughs> Yep. where like there are some feuds in there that kind of make you scratch your head but it's wcw's got the better product at the moment to watch
3: Mm -hmm. absolutely
2: because i think on the first mgm show is when they have mysterio and malenko's like the first of like their weekly title matches
0: yep yeah they're they're definitely putting a lot more serious stuff on tv than wwf was willing to at that point yeah now I'm curious. One thing you you had mentioned on Twitter the other day, uh, I had had a tweet about wrestling houses. They've got those quarantine house memes. I decided to make one with WCW wrestlers, and you had said in a tweet in reply to one of those, you you talked about meeting Ice Train, which got me very excited because I'm a big Ice Train fan, <laughs> and uh, like I I just find the guy fascinating. Like the way he moves is crazy. Uh, I, I think he's an underrated wrestler. Like, who knows? If he had gotten a huge push, who knows what that would have turned out. But I personally, like, you just always have those guys where even if it's irrational, you're like, I like this guy. I want to watch him wrestle every single week. And for me, one of those guys is Ice Train. So you said you spent some time with Ice Train, and I just got to hear more about it. What 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 happened? Like, where did you run into him? How did that conversation go? What was he like?
2: So I work for Wrestle Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, which is based out of Atlanta. So we did, uh, we were doing a gaming festival down there, Southern Pride Gaming, big two day festival they do. And AWE is always the uh, live entertainment, quote unquote. So night one rolls around. I think we get into town early. Uh, we're staying with my family and me. Chip Day and Thomas Shire all get in the car. We go to a local powerlifting gym. Having a great time just working out. And, uh, you know, guy come – Chip knows one of the uh, the employees there. And we're all lifting and see this very large man pressing like 80 pounds just for reps. Mm-hmm. I go over to do my thing and I see like – you know, I come back and we're talking – and the guy comes over. He's like, "Hey, you, you guys are wrestlers, right? Yeah, you know who that is? Uh, not not really, man. Who is it? Oh, that's Ice Train." And immediately, I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense, actually." <laughs> he's as big as he was in like '97. Yeah. Like it, he's leaner though. That's the scary part.
0: Yeah, I saw. Uh, he's got like you know I saw his Facebook profile just uh, today, and he definitely. He looks in great shape, and I don't know why, I don't know if I was, I, I don't know what it was. For some reason, I had thought that he had, like, gotten really fat. Uh, the opposite has happened. He, he's trimmed down. He looks like he could still go if he wanted to.
2: Oh, yeah, and that's the scary part, too. Um, is he is, he's just a wall of muscle. And so, we're, we're working out, and he's, you know, he's lifting, but I think he's also coaching, like, three or four kids who look like they're in high school. And he's got them throwing 225 on the bar, and these kids aren't exactly the biggest. They're... Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think, like, you can tell, like, they're basketball forward and stuff. Like, they're not the, the bulkiest, but... He's just yelling, Give me 25!
3: <laughs>
2: and, like, we're hearing him just count out these reps for these kids, all while he's still working out on his own. And... <laughs> so chip and shire are doing a bodybuilding workout i'm in the back somewhere doing crossfit and we keep hearing him yelling i come over to do some accessory work and he goes give me 10 more and so shire and chip go i guess we're doing 10 more too and they (laughs) (laughs) are like all right we're not going to argue with what ice train's yelling right now Gets to the end. We need a bench for a finisher. Uh, so they, they go over and... Excuse me, uh, Mr. Train, sir. Uh, you mind if we use this bench when you're done with it? And, you know, they, they get to talk. And I walk over because I'm like, all right, the boys are talking to Ice Train. I might want to get in on this.
3: <laughs>
2: I walk over and this man is just sitting there throwing 80-pound dumbbells over his head. And just doing shoulder presses for reps no no difficulty for him <laughs> yeah all while talking to us about wrestling and <laughs> dropping like giving us pieces of knowledge and advice and stuff and he opened with he opened to me when i came over because he's like oh you're a worker i'm like yes sir how old are you he, and i go oh i'm 22 sir and without skipping a beat why the fuck are you in this country? What? And I just like, I'm that, that, in my mind, I'm just like, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> and I just stutter out, I was born here, sir? <laughs> He's like, you young. You should be in Germany. You should be working for Otto, making $3,000 a week.
0: I see. Okay.
2: I got what he was saying because it's like how he became a wrestler. And Mm -hmm. it's sound advice, but it's just when he said, make it $3,000 a week, I was like, what? I'm like, (laughs) I, what? (laughs) Like, I don't know anyone who's making that much money, like, even on the independents. Right. Maybe, like, maybe somebody's working five days a week and, you know. Is a top name draw, but I was so puzzled. And then he goes on to start telling me, he's like, and then after you do three years in Germany, then you go over to Japan, and then you make hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for New Japan and Anoki. And I was just like, wait, what? But I like, <laughs> I was like, you know, people <laughs> confuse names and who's still in charge of things and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, okay. I'm like I'm getting hyped up. Ice trains giving us uh, dropping us all this knowledge and like he was giving us actually some very sound advice with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he one of my favorite things I think he said to me was, "How many times I lost on Nitro?" You know, and he explained to you it's like I only lost like twice on Nitro, and the last time was to Bill Goldberg, and I was like, "That doesn't sound right at all." Because I'm in the in my head, I'm doing timelines, and I'm like, yeah. But then in reality, like I go back and watch, and I'm like, oh yeah, he leaves like randomly in '97. He just disappears, and it was after the Goldberg match.
0: Well, he also interesting because I looked at I I happen to have his cage match up. I, I brought it up here. He came back towards the end as a different character. Am uh, I Smooth, the like limo driver? But again, uh, he his last loss on Nitro was to Canyon. But his second to last loss on Nitro was again to Goldberg. So he is accurate that like, yeah, he one of one of his last televised losses was to Bill Goldberg.
2: But like he and I don't you got the cage matchup, so I don't know how many L's he took on Nitro, but like looking back at it, he was picking up wins left and right on like Saturday night and stuff. Mm -hmm. So oh, he he's not wrong here. Like he's you know, he's very like, you know got to protect yourself, stuff like that, which is a really good old mentality, I think, uh, which I think can be adapted into today's wrestling. It's just very difficult to do.
0: Sure. Well, like, and I think the... Uh, I, I don't think this is universal. It's going to depend. But I think the attitude of of the promoter in the locker room seems to... And I'm, I'm on the outside. But my perception is that it's shifted, and it's just not as cutthroat. You know, that people seem to be more of a of a community and a camaraderie than like i would i would stab you behind the gas station if it meant i could get 35 more cents in my envelope you know what i mean
2: yeah yeah no it's not it very luckily is not that way anymore like you know we all deal with each other no one's really trying to you know pull one on behind someone else's back or anything like that. But it's definitely not the old school. Oh, I'm going to take your push type thing. Like it's not that way anymore. So I, I like, it's not something I personally have had to really like worry about is like, you know, well, I can't lose to so-and-so or, you know, it's, it's the old, uh, in my mind, it's the cornet joke of like, you can't beat me in this country, but I can't beat you in that country with Sean and Brett.
3: Mm-hmm. hmm
2: So, but he, he was very nice, and he was telling us all this stuff. And, you know, he's like, yeah, you got to get in good with the after mags and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, okay. And, like, this is maybe three hours before we go to a show. Mm-hmm. So, in my head, I'm just getting psyched up and like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And then we get in the car, you know, we, we're we talking. he, you know, keeps talking to us, uh, tells us, like, what each of us needs. To, like, he was giving us physique tips, too. He was like, yeah, you just you just need to trim up a little bit. Uh, you need to do this. And then he, like, looks at me. He's like, you just need to put on, like, another 10, 15 pounds of muscle, and you get you a contract right now. I was like, uh, oh, thank you, sir.
0: <laughs> this is like when your, uh, your grandma's, like, did you just – did you call and see if they would give you a jo- job? Did you just bring your resume into an office building and hand it to them? They'll, they'll hire you.
2: Yeah, just go – yeah, I went and knocked on Vince Jr.'s door. <laughs> it <was> very nice. <laughs> so we did the math. and Like, we're doing the math on the money and everything. And we get in the car. And at one point, like, somebody just yells, Fuck yeah, we're moving to Germany tomorrow. And I was <laughs> like, we we're all like, yes, let's do it. Let's go to Germany. And then, like, we started piecing it together. And I go, I just remember, like, breaking out in the middle of the car. Wait, isn't Otto dead? From <laughs> Shire who's trained by Dory Funk Jr. So he's encyclopedia <laughs> of wrestling knowledge. He goes, Ah shit, man, I think you're right. <laughs> and then I went, Wait a minute, who's making three thousand dollars a week? Like I don't know anyone who's making that money right now that's not signed to the WWE and <laughs> Every, we all just like the reality of it just started shattering. We were like, <laughs> oh, oh, no,
0: I'm going to have to check out because I know in uh, Stephen or William, whatever you want to call it, Regal's book, he talks about those tours because he did those Autovants tours. I'm going to see if I can find that section. I wonder if he mentions he probably doesn't get into specifics of pay, but you never know. I should see if there's anything in there that says what he was pulling down for those.
2: Which like back in the day, like that was a realistic number too. Mm-hmm. Like a completely wild number. But nowadays, you know, you're not drawing five hundred people five nights a week in Stuttgart, Hamburg and you know,
0: <laughs> Right. Right.
2: It's like you're you're putting a couple hundred and I don't mean a couple hundred, like, you know, two hundred, you're putting you're filling a very decent sized venue. Mm-hmm. Shows like WXW and stuff where they're packing people in left and right for their, you know, monthly shows and whatnot. But, you know, if you run a weekly show, I don't know if you're packing in 500 people a week.
0: Yeah, the the good local fed we have here is maybe monthly. Like, there, you know, there's probably a few months where they don't have a show. Then there's one where they might have a couple like at the... Uh, there's a good VFW and like the it's like the cool VFW and the fun part of town oh, yeah. and they'll run there. And then like a brewery will have a couple random shows a year and they'll and they'll run there. Um, and then they've got like two kind of big shows that they do at First Avenue, the Rock Club, downtown Minneapolis. But like I and I love I try to go to as many as they could. But if those started running weekly, I, I imagine they'd take a huge dent like that. That just there's so much wrestling out there that I think you have to really balance you know, how much content you're putting out. Cause at a certain point you're just tipping off too much.
2: Yeah. It's how much can I ingest? So for like me as a consumer, I kind of, I always try to put myself in like a fan consumer uh, standpoint. Cause at the end of the day, I'm a consumer for certain products and I know what I like about those products and their advertising. If I start to feel like people are putting out, like if I'm trying to think, because CrossFit's a bad thing, because, like, I'm a CrossFit trainer. So I'm a level one trainer, so I personally, like, eat that info up. Mm-hmm. But, like, if, if, say, my local uh, coffee brand, I like a certain brand of coffee, and say, like, they're show- they're putting out new ways to brew it and stuff like that, and, you know, new info, i like, oh, well, this bean comes from here. But if they start putting out too much info to where I start falling behind... And then you got to go back, and you're like, oh, well, now i got to play catch-up. Well, what did I miss three weeks ago that they put out that directly relates to this thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gets to be difficult, I feel like.
0: Yeah, uh, so I've got a perfect analogy for you, because this is something that's been on my mind lately. We we decided that during quarantine, because as a podcast, we're, we take a long time between episodes sometimes. We're, we're just busy people. But during quarantine, I was like, let's try to get a ton of episodes out. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, like, I wonder if I'm going to run, if instead of providing people a lot of episodes they want to hear, am I going to run people off? Because all of a sudden they're going to look at their podcast player and see 16 unplayed episodes of our show and be like, you know what, if I haven't listened to 16 episodes, I probably just should delete my subscription. So now I'm like, I'm just like, shit, do I stop putting out so many episodes? I I probably won't because it gives me something to do while I'm locked in my house. But it is, I, I eventually realized, like, Maybe more is not necessarily what the consumer wants, you, you, but it's hard to know. It's, you know, you don't have, if you're not a big company, you don't have like focus groups and all that, that, that yeah. give you that kind of constant feedback.
2: Personally, for me, I'm always a quality over quantity guy. Right. So like the coffee I buy, I could easily go buy Folgers and probably be content with that. But like, I like a, you know, a higher quality of coffee and whatnot for my daily consumption.
0: What do you do? You like a French press? You do that uh, drip stuff? What's all the you know? There's so many different things out there now.
2: So I I say I love three things in the world. Uh, I love professional wrestling, CrossFit, and coffee. (laughs) I'm a I'm a very like you would think I'd be a black and brave kid, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of my friends are though, and they're all the same way. But like, I just got a French press. Love it. Uh, I want to become a drip coffee guy. I just don't have like a kettle right now for it. Yeah. And like the only thing is like, I'm just now figuring out like the proper ratio for my French press, which is roughly like one to 15 grams of coffee to grams of water. There's like a, it, it, the science behind it, All this is interesting. And then I want to learn how to get into like cold brew, but I'm taking it one step at a time.
0: Sure, yep. I'm I feel like I'm just on the precipice of getting into coffee. Like right now, I buy my local uh Caribou I, I don't I think they're national now, but Caribou was like a local company that started here, so I still think of them as local even though they're they're not now, but I I go buy Ca- my Caribou coffee. I make it and I have a Keurig, but I use a refillable thing. I don't use the pods. I I actually take the grounds and it's like a little mesh wire thing that goes in there so I can reuse it every day but I'm like I think I'm ready to graduate to the next level and start learning about good coffee and it might be a function of I've got so much more time in my house in the morning than I used to but like I think I think a French press is the logical next step right that's like that's where you go from the coffee maker
2: I would go French press master the French press or at least get good at it maybe not have to master it yeah. I would then go into one of those like Chemex drippers. You know, you put the thing on top and then you got to do the slow pour over.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, because yes, I know.
2: With French press, you're just doing like, alright, cool, let it sit and brew for 10 minutes, then press down. Whereas like with the pour over, for people who don't know, you have to like wet the grounds and then 30 seconds later you add x amount of grams of water and then you wait another like minute and then add more water over that minute and it's very like specific
0: i feel like that's probably pretty relaxing in a way too you know
2: it might to me it stresses me out because I'm a- <laughs> i'll look away from something for five minutes i'll turn back over and it's like oh i burned this when did i have time to burn this <laughs> I, I absolutely think, like, quality over quantity, though, because I'd rather have something that's very good and very solid mm-hmm. than have a hundred different, you know, things. Like, for me, I'm looking at my podcast app right now. I have, oh, let me take a look at the number of Rogan podcasts I haven't listened to. Yeah, there are at least 50 Rogan podcasts I haven't listened to. I'm... I'm unsubscribing from it because I just don't have time to listen to fifty Joe Rogan podcasts in three hours. Piece. Yep. But like, if it, quarantine's a weird time because there are going to be people who just want to listen to like nothing but podcasts.
0: Well, if they're walking their dogs as much as I am, they've got time for podcasts. That's <laughs> that's my attitude.
2: I. It's funny because, like, I didn't think I'd, like, listen to podcasts that much. And then I'm, like, burning through, like, the Conrad Thompson playlist of podcasts at this point.
0: So I I used to listen to them mostly because I could get notes for our show from them. And and I'm right now I'm doing my research for Sold Out. So I was like, I know there's going to be a Bischoff episode, an 83 Weeks episode about Sold Out. So it's been a while, so I fired it up. And, you know, there's a couple things in there that are that are good info to know as I put my notes together for sold out. But the fact that I got to listen to like six minutes of Eric Bischoff telling me about the medication he takes to make his dick hard is like enough to make me go like, yeah, now I remember why don't listen to
2: this. So I laugh at those most of the time. I'm like, <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy it so much just because Arn Anderson does the best reads for those.
0: I haven't listened to the Arn show yet. And I know that's, as a nitro podcast host, that's probably a bad admission, but I have not listened to any of the Arn show. Is that one worth checking out?
2: It is. The early episodes are definitely like Arn Anderson figuring out podcasting, but
0: <laughs> it's yeah.
2: the Arn Anderson promo wit is still just firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. He's it's so fun, and then you get different views on different things. Like he goes into depth about his neck surgery and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an amazing podcast, but he never gets like, you know, Bruce Pritchard and Tony Schiavone will tell you how super hard their dicks are. <laughs> right. Arne Anderson will not go into such gratuitous detail, but he'll have little allegories for it. <laughs> All right. And it's, All right. it's, it's worth it.
0: Uh, I'll check that out. That sounds good. I think what ran me off was, I remember finding out he had an autobiography and being interested, and then reading the reviews and finding out that it's written entirely in kayfabe. Or at least, I shouldn't say entirely, but the, rest- the parts where he talks about wrestling, he treats it all like it's a complete shoot. That, uh, you know, I went up against this guy, and he was the better man. He beat me that day, and I tried my best, but, you know, uh, the renegade beat me for the TV title, and he was just the stronger man. It's like, it's just, it's crazy to think that. And I think he wrote it, like, in the late 90s. It's just like, by that time, there was, you can't put the cork back in that bottle, man.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of those guys were trying. And I can't fault them, because for the life of me, like, if I know I'm doing a big thing for whatever company I'm doing it for now, I am, I don't care if I rode to town with the dude. I am just bad-mouthing him from across the building mm-hmm. in the worst way possible.
0: <laughs> now, are you usually, uh, are you babyface or heel? Typically? I know I'm, that can probably shift, but what do you like to do more often?
2: Like 99.99% of the time I'm a heel. I am, I have, I've been told by, about 10 different people that I have a very punchable face.
3: <laughs> sure.
2: People in wrestling who I actually respect. And they're like, yeah, no, you're just an asshole. And I'm like, wait, am I? And they're like, no, you're, you're, you're a nice kid, but you're just, you come across as such an asshole out there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see it. Like <laughs> I, uh, a lot of my stuff that I've taken from my favorite wrestler is totally Blanchard.
0: Okay, Sure.
2: Who, hearing him talk and it's like when he would talk, it's like some somebody brought up, even if Arn and Barry and Rick were all at least getting like the horseman pop, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, fours thrown up at him and, you know, people wooing and going along with their promos. No matter what, Tully was always just hated like you would have thought that Tully just banged everybody's mom before the show mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. And I found my stride and I'm not the most athletic person. I'm you know I'm a college athlete. I'm athletic enough but I can't I can't flip. I can't do super cool stuff off the top, which a lot of people can do nowadays. I believe that there is a way I'm not trying to say like, Oh, you can't be a baby face if you can't flip. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not somebody who reaches to the crowd and tries to get them to, you know, cheer me. Yep. Uh, it's very strange. Cause in the South, I like in Mississippi and Tennessee, they would not let me work as a heel. And I never understood why until one day a promoter told me, he's like, Buddy, you got blue eyes and blonde hair. You're not a baby. You're not a heel in this city. I'm like, oh no.
0: Yo, <laughs> yikes!
2: I was like, huh? What do you mean? Oh man! I'm like, you're a muscle bound kid with blue eyes and blonde hair. You're just like a volunteer, and I'm like, no, no, hold on. That's a very untrue statement, right there. (laughs) I'm a Lance von Eric, if anything.
0: (laughs) So I'm curious, uh, you know, with the way that the lockdown has impacted independent wrestler, independent wrestling, basically everywhere. Although, if you've been working in some of those regions, who knows? Georgia, Florida, they seem itching to open up, regardless of whether it's a good idea or not. But uh, I'm curious, did you have Dates lined up Were there shows that were canceled that you were on was Mania weekend within your sights. Uh, what was the personal impact for you so far?
2: Uh, so so far, like I lost a very decent amount of money with like Mania and everything after it, uh, mm-hmm. which sucks and it hurts for me to talk about it a little bit. But it at the same time it's necessary with the current climate of everything i understand it i understand that wrestling's probably not going to be back until at least the late summer early fall at best and you know fingers crossed for that because you know 2020 was actually shaping and i hate to be like 2020 was gonna be a good year for me Mm. i had been told by at least three companies what their plans for me were oh man And it was super cool it was super fun to me because i was like oh cool i'm getting to push here and Here's going to give me a couple good, you know, give me these matches that, you know, were with higher elevation guys and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is going to be cool. And then like in a one fell swoop, I was just like, all right, all my mania dates are gone. That's, yeah. It was my first mania weekend. I was excited. I was like, OK, I can bounce back from that. Like as long as we get back by like these dates in St. Louis and like Atlanta and then it was like. Everything's canceled till at minimum June, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh no!" Mm-hmm. I was uh, supposed to do a submission tournament here for St. Louis Anarchy. That got taken away because I was supposed to wrestle Dominic Arini, which is going to be a great opportunity. Uh, so that that personally just hurt because I was excited for that. I'm a huge tournament fan for wrestling.
0: I love a tournament too. I I it always bothered me because you know I was. Like anyone who was kind of coming of age during the Monday Night Wars, I eventually, by 99, was like, really just WWF. That was that was the be-all, end-all for me for at least, like, three years. And Vince McMahon just hates tournaments, and you'd get King of the Ring once a year, and it was, even by the, you know, by the late 90s, it wasn't really taken seriously anymore. And uh, it sucks, because I love a tournament.
2: I think that tournaments are, like, one of the best things to me, like, going back and watching old world championship wrestling like Crockett cup tournaments
3: television mm-hmm. tournaments, mm-hmm.
2: stuff like that it's just so exciting to watch a good tournament is like my favorite thing cuz at 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 my basis
3: mm-hmm.
2: wrestling as sport is my the wrestling i love i love the nwa i will go back and i will watch Luthes versus buddy rogers you know edward carpentier versus anyone from the old Chicago film archives. then I'll go back and find like Dory funk jr stuff, wrestling at the chase. If I can find it is amazing. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: But like going back and watching Dory funk jr. uh, One of my best friends, Thomas Shire trained by Dory. So he'll send me all these little gem matches. And to me, like for my money, one of the best matches I've ever seen that still holds up today is Dory funk versus Jack Briscoe on, Florida television from, like, early 70s. I think Dory's still champion at the time. But they do an interview with Jack, uh, Jack Briscoe, Eddie Graham, and Gordon Sully while they watch it. So, like, it's an early watch-along. Oh, that's fun. But, like, that that style of wrestling is what I love. I love All Japan. I love the idea of sport. Mm-hmm. I love the entertainment parts of it, too, but I'm just so about the sport because I think Ric Flair embodies it the best to me. Uh, to, uh, Terry Funk. Terry Funk and Harley Race in the Houston Coliseum is one of my favorite matches because it just – Terry Funk, who we all know, is like an, an over-exaggerated character in a way. Mm-hmm. We'll still sit there and talk about it being the sport of professional wrestling and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's, I get, I get, uh, I kind of romanticize it in my head. Because there were, if you look back in the history, there were still like the crazy finishes and stuff for back then. But it was all still just based in like, hey, the world champion is the world champion. He is the wrestler today.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, no one exemplified being a world champion quite in the way that Ric Flair did.
2: He would go out there and he would be the better athlete, you know, whatever the route may be. If it meant his feet were on the ropes, his feet were on the ropes. But you never went away from a Ric Flair match not thinking, like, Flair's just that good. Or, you know, he, he brought legitimacy to it when he was going around talking about all the money he was making and how much of it he was spending and, you know, suits from Michaels and Kansas City and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: like he everyone carried themselves as athletes back in the day. Uh, for me, it's something that I try and do now where if I'm going to a show – that I haven't been to before, I will usually show up in at least a polo and some, you know, nice pants. If not a suit for some companies, just because to me, it's like, all right, I want to show them. I'm serious.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Now, if it's like my local home promotion, there's a chance I might be showing up in like, I've shown up in, you know, uh, squat shorts and a old gold gym cutoff. So, (laughs)
0: Well, you gotta feel. Yeah, you gotta have places where you feel comfortable.
2: Yeah, gotta show up looking like the Road Warriors.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, you're need some zubas for that, I think.
2: You you know what? You're not wrong.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, before we let you go, uh, what do you want to plug? Social media? You got uh, merch anyone can buy out there? What what? Where can people follow you?
2: Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Kenway the number four, uh, night. Uh, let me pull up my Instagram because I had to change that a couple months back.
0: Speaking of, and I can, I can keep this part off air, but I was, I was just looking, uh, you know, I try to see where you've worked and figure out anything about the person I'm going to interview. And I found a different Twitter account that's suspended. What what did you do to get yourself in trouble on Twitter?
2: Oh, this is actually a WCW story too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so my friend Christian Rose, uh, besmirched the good name of Lex Luger.
0: Ooh, how dare he?
2: And I brought up the uh, Auburn Hills when he wins the title. And I said, how could Lex Luger have been that bad when he got that big of an ovation? Uh, he was over. Lex Luger was over, as could be.
0: Oh, uh, he's super over.
2: What's funny is he's even over when he's the Lex Express. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. like. They kind of fumbled it, and then like oh, hundred percent. And I knew it. I knew they were behind him with the Lex Express because at WrestleMania ten, the 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 finish with perfect happens, and they're chanting bullshit. And they they're not chanting bullshit at the finish. They're chanting bullshit that Lex lost. Mm-hmm. And that just it pains me because I'm like, oh, we could have had Lex as WWF champion, and that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But he said something about like, nope, Lex Lugers the dog shit horse. And I just tweeted, I'll kill you Rose.
3: <laughs>
2: and I guess this is right when they started like all the stuff with like people getting banned heavily was happening. And they just shut my account down quick as could be. So I went from like 1300 followers to
0: no oh, man, that sucks.
2: But it's whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I lo- I lost my Twitter account over defending Lex Luger.
0: <laughs> well, there's that's a good hill to die on. At least you, it was a just
2: cause. It, exactly. Um, but my Instagram is the underscore Kenway ninety seven, and then merch can be found at fullygimmicked.com. dot com.
0: Definitely check out. Now, I think I was going to say Matt Kenway, but I think you're typically billed in the ring as just Kenway. Am I right? The Kenway. Uh, the Kenway. The Kenway. So if he's coming to a town near you, uh, when God help us, wrestling is once again a thing we can go see. Be sure and go see him. Matt, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me on today.
0: My thanks to the Kenway for joining me on the Lee Marshall Memorial Indie Road Report. That was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely looking forward to talking to more wrestlers as we continue through this quarantine period. Uh, we've got, coming up on Sold Out, we've got a referee. Our first referee during quarantine, but not our first referee is a friend of the show, because, of course, we've got Rob Page. Oh, okay. But uh, I'm excited uh, because, and this is a little bit of a spoiler for Sold Out, uh, I don't know if you realize, Nick Patrick refs every match on that card, Dave.
1: That is easy to, that would have been easy to guess. That would be the easiest assumption to make for that pay-per-view.
0: So I'm excited to hear a ref uh, by trade talk about what <laughs> what kind of pressure, regardless of whether we think Nick Patrick's good or bad or how we feel about his performance on that one show, that's a huge thing to ask a person to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to getting a ref's perspective on that. But, yeah, I've, I've been in touch with a lot of other wrestlers. We've got a lot of fun guests coming up. And we really hope that you guys have been enjoying those interviews and enjoying having guests on the show during this uh, the quarantine. I've certainly been having a lot of fun getting to know independent wrestlers. You know, we've talked now to uh, DMC down in Florida. We've got Magnum CK in Indiana. We had Darren Corbin here in Minnesota. The Kenway is in... Uh, St. Louis, Missouri. So, like, we're really getting a little flavor from all the different regions out there, and, and that's something that's been a lot of fun. Uh, but that, I think, is going to wrap it up for Worldwide. Dave, you got anything else you want to say before we get back to the people with Sold Out?
1: Every every uh, Worldwide, you always wanted us to bring up, um, like, the things to do during quarantine that are either cheap or free to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and I feel like I should mention this one because it's going to be something that's going to expire by the end of the month and this is particularly something of interest for people that have a Playstation and have Playstation Plus is that the entire Uncharted series, all four games until the end of the month are available for free you can get all four of them um, if you have the Playstation Network to download Mm -hmm. for free Um, it is like Probably my favorite, like, series of video games. They're so addictive. They're so much fun. Um, they're, they're so, you just get so absorbed into them. And so I think they're that's a really great way to just kind of maybe tune out to kind of the worries of the world for a few hours on the day. So that's something I definitely recommend. The Uncharted, I believe they call it the, the Nathan Drake uh, Legacy or Nathan Drake Collection is available for free until the end of April.
0: That's cool. Uh, that re- this, you're reminding me that I need to finish the fourth game. I I started it and, and didn't get very far. I should just start over from the beginning at this point. Uh, so yeah, I sh- I'm playing the Final Fantasy VII remake right now. Uh, whenever I'm not working
1: on the podcast,
0: but, okay. Uh, when I'm when I'm done with that, I should get back to Uncharted Four.
1: Yeah. Another one that I I just got. Um, and it, it's it, it's not free. It's five dollars um but that is the um the friday the 13th game oh yes um, yep. which i had watched videos for i'm like oh that'd be fun but it's like because it's a uh, it's like a one of those like always in beta mode sort of thing mm-hmm. so it's not like mm-hmm. it's kind of like PUBG. It, uh player uh what player unknown player
0: unknowns battleground yeah yeah so
1: it's like a perpetually in beta mode so it's not like perfect there's you know glitches and things like that but like friday 13th looks like a lot of fun and then it just showed up because they have just a page for like these like really good deals and i'm like Mm -hmm. five bucks that's like what you would pay for some apps on your phone is five bucks i'm like yeah i'll I'll buy a video game for that why not so um that's another one that's out there if you're willing to spend just a few bucks friday 13th the game is on uh, playstation uh, plus as well all right well You'll probably, like I said, uh, and
0: I I almost didn't even tease it because you never know if things can go awry, but you should have a very special bonus episode of this show up within a couple days. But otherwise, you can look forward to hearing us next time right here to talk about Sold Out, where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro.